This edition of Christian Curious will be for mature audiences only. Dr. Scott will be talking about a very difficult topic, one that has affected her personally. While an important program for you to listen to, it is not one for young children. A podcast will be available in the coming days if you cannot stay for today's program. I was 21 years old, just six months coming back to the Christian faith, when I was raped by a youth pastor. Raped because I knew his secret. He was having an affair with two married mothers of the children he taught. It never gets easier to tell that story, even after 23 years. But I thought at that time that I was the only one that this had happened to. But if the last few years have taught me anything at all, it's that I'm far, far, far too close to the norm. This is Christian Curious, and I'm your host, Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Each week, we tackle some of the hardest, most pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. Today, I'm discussing the question, how do you know you're in a toxic church with author Laura Berenger? Laura Berenger is an outspoken advocate for the wounded resistors of institutional abuse. She is the co-author of a church called Tav, forming a goodness culture that resists abuses of power and promotes healing. Laura is a curriculum writer for Growth for Kids, a ministry of stuff you can use. She previously co-authored the children's version of the Jesus Creed and wrote a teacher's guide to accompany the book. She published articles for the Jesus Creed and the Inglewood Review of Books, and her writing has been featured in Church Leaders and the Roy's Report. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you, Haley. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's really an honor to be with you today. Thank you. You recently co-wrote a book with your father, Scott McKnight, entitled A Church Called Tov. Am I saying Tov right? Is that right? It's actually a long O, Tov. Tov. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of people say, no, I know, a lot of people say it. It's a Hebrew word, a funny-sounding little word. Okay, so yeah, Tov. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you for educating me. Now I know. Um, <laughs> what inspired you to write this? And what does Tov mean? Yeah, my story is an unlikely one. I am a grade school teacher, and I have been teaching primary grade children for over two decades. Writing a book about abuse and Christian workplaces, Christian organizations and churches is not an expectation that I ever held for myself. Um, It's not something that I ever would have planned as part of my journey. My story really started with the unfolding of the Willow Creek tragedy here in, I live outside of Chicago in the suburbs um, of Chicago, Illinois. And it started for me on March 23, 2018, with a story that a news article that broke in the Chicago Tribune about my former pastor, Bill Hybels. There were allegations raised against him by women. Started reading the article, recognized the names of the women. Most of the names were family friends. And it was really, for me, the first experience of seeing a church rather than tell the truth and care for the wounded, I saw a church viciously, deceitfully defend its image and reputation. My father is a well-known author, theologian, New Testament scholar, and I, my vision was for him to be the one <laughs> to write. Um, he would privately explain to me Willow Creek's misuse of scripture, the spiritual abuse that was happening about 
character of Christian leaders about this is the verse that Willow should be applying, not this verse. And I felt like nobody was defending the women. People were not defending the whistleblowers. I felt like my dad had something to say. Um, we ultimately decided to write together about a larger topic, one that's ultimately redemptive. But that is really where my story started. The Willow Creek story was personal for me and for my family. Well, I, I really like that approach because, you know, there are so many different people out there that that come out and critique the church and kind of ground it, you know, grind it into the ground, but then they don't build it back up into the beauty of what it actually could be and provide a vision of what it could be. And I really, that's what I really appreciate about this book. So what, is, what does Tove mean? Tove is the Hebrew word for goodness. Before 2020, I had not heard of the funny three little three letter word. Um, it actually appears more than 400 times. One, you'll see light is tove, right? Good. Land and sea are tove, plants are tove, day and night are tove, sea animals, land animals. The seventh day, God saw all that he had made. It was very tove. So God is tove. All that he created and creates is tove. He designed us humans to walk in the way of tove. Our Bible is literally the book of Tove, of goodness. And what I have learned from my father is that Tove is a master moral category in our Bible. It is the way that we humans are called to live. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, what, you know, if there are people in church that may not feel like they are in a church of goodness, you know, or what are some of the signs of toxic churches and what should people be looking out for? Yeah. So we studied this and did some research over the course of months and there were some, um, there were some signs that definitely rose to the surface for us. We identified seven of them, narcissistic culture, mm -hmm. fear culture, a fear culture where people, especially those on staff, are afraid to ask questions or um, tell the leader the truth. Well, another one is institution creep is what we call it. Rather than putting people first, the institution or the church protects itself and its reputation. We saw a lot of another one is um, rather than telling the truth, we saw a lot of false narratives and anything to protect the church and its image instead of just tell the truth about what happened. Right. Another, toxic, another toxic warning sign is a loyalty culture where people are blindly loyal to the leader and the institution. Um, another big one, celebrity culture can be a warning sign of toxicity. Mm -hmm. And then also because celebrity the culture kind of, it kind of goes with the narcissism in a way. Right. Right. And I think people don't, I didn't realize when I was a member of Willow Creek here in Chicago, how I, as a layperson, contributed to the celebrity culture. And then the last one that we identified is a leader culture. So there, we've seen 
a shift. Eugene Peterson talked about this decades ago. He started worrying about where churches were headed when rather than the pastor being a pastoral spiritual leader, now we see pastors more as leaders. And that can also be a sign of toxicity within a church if we're not careful. So those are the seven that we identified. And um, they're all important and they're all different. But I would definitely um, raise red flags if I saw them creeping into a church culture. You know, there is, you know, an example of here in the Denver Metro, I believe there is a quote unquote pastor whose sole job is to teach, preach like maybe 20 times a year. And he doesn't do anything else. He does not go to do hospital visitation. He does not go and do any kind of outreach services, evangelism. He just mm. gets, you know, six figures for teaching those 20 sermons. Mm. And that, I think, is probably a very unhealthy church. But right, right. Without knowing any details, I would I would definitely have a lot of questions. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and it is true that, you know, unfortunately, um, for a long time, pastors have been, you know, whenever they they examine where do not narcissists go to what mm-hmm. professions do they go into? They go into pet pa- the pastorate, you know, because you get right. you get the authority of God behind you. You know, and right, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of Chuck DeGroat. He has done really important work. He's an author, speaker. Um, yeah, he's in Holland, he's, right? Holland, Michigan. Yeah, yeah, he's in Michigan. He he published recently a wonderful book called um, "When Narcissism Comes to Church," and he said almost exactly what you were saying is that almost every pastor if you do like, I think, personality assessment on them, has some narcissistic tendencies that they need to watch out for. Like, and it makes sense, like what you were saying, if I'm going to get up and represent God to people, that's, you know, wow, like that is narcissism inducing. Yes, absolutely. So if a person realizes that they're in a toxic church or even like a toxic parachurch organization, because I know that, you know, over the years, I've been a uh, consultant, especially for women. I, you know, my first book was on female leaders, and I've spoken around the world to, to female leaders and about the, the circumstances in which they are working and, you know, trying to serve and use their giftedness. If a person realizes they're in a toxic situation, organization, church, parachurch organization, what do you think they should do? This is probably our most frequently asked question. I see the toxicity. What do I do? There isn't, in my opinion, one right answer. Every situation is different. It's not clear cut. The person is going to have to decide for themselves, prayerfully evaluate their own situation, financial structure, their own mental health, and decide, is this something that do I want to stay and expose? Do I want to work from the inside to try to make change? We have been asked by a lot of lay people who are 
far away from the power. Like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. I see that it's unhealthy. Should I stay at this church? Should I not? And we don't, I don't have an answer except I will say, sadly, the farther a person is from the power, the less influence they're going to have to make a change, to make like a lasting influential change. Right. So, you know, the answer is different for everybody, for a staff person, for an associate pastor, for a lay person, people are really going to have to meet, going to need to prayerfully evaluate what's best for them. Um, in some situations, we've counseled people, you need to leave. This is ruining your mental health. It's not worth the stress. And then other people have felt called to stay and try to make some of the toxic habits into ones of goodness. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not easy to be a whistleblower. At Denver Seminary, our online, on-campus, and hybrid graduate education programs prepare men and women to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. Our mission will equip you for any ministry calling. To learn more about our degree programs, certificate opportunities, and classes, visit denverseminary.edu. my own situation that I opened with at, you know, the top of the show, I've never, ever talked about that. I mean, I've written about it in, you know, national platforms, but I've never actually talked about it on this show. For me personally, I, I often, I feel more haunted by, you know, at the time I felt, you know, I told the the head pastor, I told the head elder, I told enough people that this man was kicked out of the parsonage, he was kicked out of his job, he was kicked out of seminary, he had to leave the state. But I didn't want to press charges because I just, I didn't, I was so young and I was so scared of, um, and, I, and I still felt like a lot of it was my fault. And I, I was there as the damage from him leaving so abruptly and the church not really being honest about it. I watched that unfold and I really wrestled with what I'd done. Did I do the right thing? Because I saw so many people being hurt by him leaving, but then nobody telling why he left, you know, because he was having, you know, two affairs with married women and I was pretty much hiding what he had done to me. But over the years, I would say that um, I have been more haunted by the thing I did not do than the thing I did do. Um, I wish I would have done more. And, you know, that's not going to be the case for everybody because, you know, I you wonder if you don't expose your questioning, your thinking, who else is going to be harmed if I don't say something? Mm. Um, but then on the other hand, I don't know that I can handle this. I don't know right. that, you know, and for me at the moment, I did not have the mental capacity. I did not have the social support to to do that, you know, and so I just, sure. I left. Um, mm. And so those are the choices that are facing people. And they're really heartbreaking decisions that you have to choose between. Well, Haley, I 
I read your story and I want to say that I honor you and respect you. I'm so sorry for the pain and what happened is grievous. And I, I see you as so brave um, to write and, and say what you just did. And I don't think you can fault anybody for, for walking away. I've seen, I've seen such ugliness from the Christian, from Christian, I mean, secular organizations, but especially Christian organizations, the angry attacks that, um, the loss of relationships, the loss, uh, it's not whistleblowers. People have to understand are not met with open, loving arms and listening ears, right? Like you might forever be marked and it's going to be disruptive in your relationships. And that's one of the common reasons people give for saying, you know, I'm not strong enough to do this. And I think you have to, you have to know your own limits and, and what you're stepping into. Our churches like stability, right? Mm -hmm. Speaking up, speaking out, resisting toxic dimensions of a church culture destabilizes the culture. So the pastors, the elders, the silent majority, the people that don't know, they resist the destabilizers, the prophets, the wounded. Um, That's very true. I understand, I mean, in a tiny, I experienced a tiny little bit, just a tiny fraction of what you have gone through, but just publicly speaking out about Willow Creek, I thought, Wow, the angry attacks that I got, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not even one of the women, but I paid for it. Um, it was worth it because I believed the women and I did not believe the church's spinning of the narrative. Um, but, you know, if people decide to, to speak out and be a whistleblower, I think it's important to know what you might be up against. Yeah, which leads me to my next question. You know, if a, if a person does decide to expose that immoral behavior, what should they do to be prepared for how the toxic church will react? Well, they're going to lose, probably lose reputation. They're going to lose status. Um, they'll probably experience a loss of friendship. Um, you're going to, what we saw in the case of Willow Creek is, we saw a church spinning stories about fellow human beings, about taking a story about the pastor and twisting it so it looked like the woman's fault. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm going to say, you're not going to be met with open, loving arms. Unless it's a very tove church with a very tove culture, most likely, more often than not, you're going to be met with disbelief and resistance. And I'm sure you've heard of Darvo where um, the the church becomes the victim all of a sudden and people are feeling bad for the church. Right. So it's good. It, it's really healthy and good, I think, for people to have a strong support system and to be, Diane Langberg says that before, before a survivor comes forward publicly, they need to have, like, they need to be pretty healthy mentally to be able to take the attacks that could come. Right. Yeah. And to be able to zing is that, you know, just like if you fall and you scrape your knee and you get 
dirt in it. Um, you know, I actually, it's a, it's a very long story, but I fell off the hood of my car when I was 16 because someone was taking my car. Mm. And I thought if I jumped on the hood of it that they wouldn't take my car. And that oh was God. not the case. And I fell off and because um, she peeled out at 40 miles an hour. And I got to the hospital. I had such a major concussion, but they started uh, taking the alcohol and the rough hospital wipes, and they would, uh, they were getting the tar out of my, uh, out of my road rash. And they got to my knee. They had been doing, you know, like these huge patches, and it was just so incredibly painful for them to, to clean out this wound. And they got to this little part of my knee and I was like, no, please, please just leave it. It's Mm -hmm. fine. Right. And so to this day, I have Quitman high school parking lot in my knee. And I use that often when I'm teaching classes or, you know, if I'm speaking to a, a crowd about the importance of being honest in dealing with your troubles, because You know, when you're dealing with them in the moment, they can be incredibly painful. But if you try to cover them over, they only they only stay with you. They don't go anywhere. They will stay with you and they will fester. And Mm. that is why the work of exposing is so important. Yes, it costs a lot, but in the end, you may be helping because, I mean, we're talking about you know, the church culture right now, as far as, you know, so many different scandals are hitting the church that if we don't do some exposing work, you know, if we don't do some public repentance, you know, the the, the uh, reputation of the church will be harmed. Exactly. I know I we had dinner with um, a couple that had both become whistleblowers in a tight circle of pastors and churches, and they were being approached by a major media outlet here in Chicago about going on the record. And it would mean attaching their names to their observations. And they asked our advice and my father and I, and we both said, it will cost you. And they nodded. They're like, yep, it had already cost them. But we also said, who will defend the women if you don't speak up? Right. And they wrote us a couple of days later and they had gone on the record and their story did work redemptively. It's almost, it's almost a commitment to a bigger picture of what God is doing to heal and redeem the church. Yeah. But I, th- I think you're so right about knowing y- knowing where you are mentally to be able to, to do that because it will mm-hmm. cost you something. It will, yeah, yep. you're going to pay for it. Um, yep. So what do you think of the practice of replatforming? That's kind of a new term, but it's, you know, disgraced leaders leaving and going away for a little while and then coming back with a new ministry. Yeah, you know, I have varying thoughts about it. And first of all, there are beautiful stories in the Bible of Jesus going to a sinner who is sorrowful and repentant and confessed and their lives being changed and redeemed. And I don't think anybody is out 
of reach of God's forgiveness and grace and using their lives for a bigger picture and a bigger story. What I have trouble with is when the confession and repentance hasn't happened and the person is given a platform again before the hard work is done. That's where I struggle. Yeah, and who 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 defines the the hard work? Who defines what that even means? You know, I mean, there's not like a guidebook. Right, right. I would say the survivors decide. You know, when it's time. I think that they should have a voice in that. But I also, you know, like I said, I believe firmly that that God can change lives if we are open and and confess, and He can redeem. And some of the most beautiful stories that I've seen are people who have messed up and who have sinned and who have said, I'm so sorry, I was wrong, I offended God, I offended you, and they're given a second chance. But without that process happening, it's extremely painful to the people that have been wounded when we are just replatforming them again without, without true and lasting change happening. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, my last question for you, I kind of want to end on a up note since we've been really heavy. Um, <laughs> what are the, <laughs> I mean, you have to be with this. I mean, you have to go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's the work. And um, yep. so what are the marks of a Tove culture and what should people be looking for and how can they actually start to create it? If you were to give like three tips. I would say, look at our circle of toes. We identified toxic habits and then we countered each one with the opposite, with a toe alternative. So I know this is more than three, but I'll talk fast. Um, rather than, than resist a narcissist culture by nurturing empathy in your congregation, resist the fear culture by nurturing grace where people are not afraid to make mistakes, where they can be real and honest and true. Put people first, tell the truth, nurture justice, do the right thing at the right time. Be a church that nurtures service and makes it ordinary. And ultimately we need to be people that strive to be more like Christ. Those will, those habits, if they are nurtured, will resist a toxic culture and instead create a place where the healing can happen for those who have been wounded. Well, thank you so much for that, Lauren. Thank you so much for being with us today. And um, listeners, I encourage you to check out. You can pretty much find A Church Called Tove anywhere books are sold. Um, You can get it on Amazon. It's probably the easiest place to find it. Um, Laura, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you. It's an honor to be with you today. And likewise. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Visit our website at www.christiancurious.com to find more shows and find out more about us. That's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious.